Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I'll, I guess I'll, the one thing I'll comment on is, you know, obviously we had a lot of hits um, the last couple nights, scored some runs. I think that should highlight that this isn't about recent results. This is about the process behind the scenes. And so just whether we were not hitting with runners in scoring position or, you know, knocking 17 hits or whatever it was that we had last night. I mean, it's not about that. It's too early to be overreacting to, to small samples of results. It's really about what's the daily process and the assessment, you know, my assessment from doing a lot of uh, research and, and observations of my own um, was that, that we, we can be better. And this is a step towards that. Um, I think sometimes it can have a good effect. I think there is, there have been times, I want to say, that are at least two different times during my career where I can remember uh, a hitting coach being relieved during season. And there was a little bit of resurgence, I think, of the offense at that point. But I also think that those particular examples that I'm remembering right now were ones where I don't think the hitting coach was doing an effective job at really knowing the, the, the breadth of the team's um, swings, swing patterns, and um, everybody as an individual. It was sort of being uh, a coach that was coaching on a one specific, uh, you know, sort of technology and that was the reason for the leaving and what you really want out of a hitting coach in my experience is some guy that is not trying to teach a specific technique or a specific way to hit but understands and really gets into understanding and being able to cherry pick the little tiny nuances of everybody's swing individually so you can help everybody in a different way 
That's something that I thought I had heard the guys talk about Chile being able to do, recognizing some of their faults, recognizing when they fall out of time and having little ways to get them back on time. So, look, at the end of the day, changes during the season are oftentimes a catalyst for something good to happen because there's usually a slide that leads to it. This was just an ironic timing because they were starting to show that upward trajectory right before they let Chile go. Francisco Lindor play into this decision at this time. I mean, not specific to Francisco. I guess the way I look at it is we know players are going to struggle. Um, hitters are always going to struggle throughout a 162-game season. Um, what someone like in my position needs to think about is, is our infrastructure and our support system in place for when they do struggle? Is it the best that it can possibly be? Because when players struggle, that's when they need the support more than, you know, more than ever. Um, so just broadly with any player, you know, I'm examining and others are examining the support system that's in place, um, which is when things are going well and when things are not going well for guys. And again, the assessment was it needed to be better. We need to be providing these guys more support, a higher level of support. It's not that they weren't getting any support. They obviously were, um, but it's just an effort to improve how we go about things to get take it to the next level It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Wednesday, May the 5th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, you know what kind of... 24 to 48 hours it's been when not only do you get one, but you get two. Actually, you want to know what the last five, six, seven days, you've gotten three Talking Mets podcast shows and two are of the short emergency variety. So welcome in to another edition of the program. And uh, of course, I wasn't expecting to come to you this quickly after uh, Sunday's wild game or wild weekend in Philadelphia, but as I had said on Friday, uh, and, and the offensive struggles and the fact that I felt compelled to have a show about the offense and talk about that after such a, a difficult stretch, especially against the Red Sox, gave you an idea that things were about to fall. Now, I had said on that show that any move the Mets made, whether it be firing the hitting coaches, which hitting coach, coaches, Tom Slater too, uh, would be window dressing, firing the managers, you know, releasing a veteran, bringing up somebody from the alternate site. Whatever they did was window dressing. And sure enough, just a couple of days later, we got the window dressing move, which the Mets firing Chili Davis and Tom Slater and bringing in uh, two guys, both new to the organization, Hugh Quattlebaum and Kevin Howard, career minor leaguers that got involved in player development and now will be handed the keys to what many believe is what the most underachieving 
offense, at least in the National League, and maybe an offense that should be one of the best in baseball that's dead last at the bottom, hanging out with a team like Detroit that quite simply came into the season not looking to win is in total rebuild mode. So the Mets are hanging out in company that they don't want to be with. The last three or four days, you've seen a lot of good things out of the offense, but let's face it, uh, it's an offense that still, even in Philadelphia and St. Louis, showed you they could bunch some runs together, but still can't get the big hit consistently, still can't manufacture runs. And, you know, I'll go back to when the Mets did this, oh, about 22 years ago. Because if you go and you search Mets fire coaches 1999, a lot of the same things that we are seeing and hearing today, you heard back then. Make no mistake about it. Uh, and it's a little bit different from 1999. But the Mets did this for a couple of reasons. The Mets did this for politics because they're building a new organization. The Mets did this to send a message to not only the players but the manager about the mindset and winning. And they also did this because... They're trying to figure out what they want to be going forward. And a lot of this could be, you know, just a situation where this was going to happen and why not do it and kill a few birds with that with that one stone, for lack of a better word. You go and you Google and you go back to June 6th, 1999, and you, you know, the New York Times, Murray Chass puts an article out. Steve Phillips talks about how it didn't matter if they even swept the Yankees that weekend. He would have made a change. They didn't like the process that was in play. The manager didn't agree with it. Uh, they're underachieving. And what's funny about that Mets team is that, at least from, and they, they fired both the hitting coach and the pitching coach back then. The pitching was struggling. Al Leiter was off to a bad start. Rick Reed didn't get uh, on track till later that, that year. Uh, they still had not acquired Kenny Rogers, which they did later that season. So when the pitching improved later in the year, they had some different people and healthier pitchers than they had earlier in the year. The offense had one of the best season, best months of the season. And Steve Phillips, even back then, is talking about the same things that you're seeing out of this Mets offense. Well, they're getting runners on base, but they're not driving them in. And, uh, you know, they don't like the approach and, and whatever, the meetings, whatever, all the things that you heard Zach Scott say. Uh, the big difference, I think, here is although the Mets are trying to build a philosophy and bring in different types of teachers here or coaches that use different tools, for the first time you saw Zach Scott in front of the media. And here's a guy that was not supposed to be the general manager. He was supposed to be part of a cabinet. He was supposed to be assistant GM. Didn't get the job. They're has been talk of some concern about how he would position himself publicly in front of the media. And I'll put that in front of the club, which he had to now answer to the club that seemed to be upset about the move and how it went down. Some of the players finding out on Twitter. So Zach Scott had to face the team. But he clearly hasn't grown into his role. He looked a little nervous. On, and, and he's doing everything on Zoom, mind you. This is not the typical, let's get into the scrum, let's be at a, at a press conference table, let's get in front of reporters while they're all standing around us on the, you know, behind home plate. He's doing this Zoom, a very, you know, it's like doing this show. You don't see your audience. And, and then he had to face his, his, uh, his team. And I, I saw a photo in, what, I think it was the New York Post, 
of Zach Scott from spring training, it looked like standing next to Chili Davis. And it almost looked like this towering, you know, well-built, athletic, former ball player with, you know, someone from Human Resources standing next to him. And I'm sure it could be intimidating. Look, I know he's been in baseball a long time and he knows Chili Davis from his Red Sox days. But when you're in a front office and you're in the, the, the an underling in the front office, you're not necessarily even uh, looked at by the players. They may not even know who you are. Well, you think the players are like the fans who are going to go up and down? Oh, you know, Zach Scott does this. And they may go, who? Who are you? You know, uh, it's very possible. So this is the first time he's getting one-on-one exposure to players. You have to gain respect. And part of that, and you read Joel Sherman's column, this might have been one of his first signature. I'm sure Sandy Alderson is very involved in it. Signature moves. What I find funny is that Sandy Alderson takes, it's been said many times, takes so much pride in having the right hitting coach and the right philosophy up and down the organization. You saw that during his first tenure, especially in the minor leagues. One of the issues he had with Wally Backman is that they want everybody to hit and approach the game a certain way. And sometimes that's not feasible. Every hitter has their own methodology and their own uh, ceiling and their own process and things like that. But this is the same guy, and, and there was more to that when he was the general manager under the Wilpon ownership group that uh, allowed a, ma- a bad manager to manage his team for seven years and lose him a World Series. Uh, and, he, and he values the hitting coach even more than the pitching coach, which is bizarre to me. Because to me, that the pitching coach is the guy that is, if there's one coach that's important, it's the pitching coach because of all that goes into pitching and all the importance of pitching. But that that's another thing for another day. Uh Look, there's nothing here that's going to change the 2021 Mets season. If you think Hugh, and I don't know who Hugh Quattlebaum is and, and Kevin Howard, I don't know anything about them. They were in the organization. They were faceless names in the organization. There's one podcast, if you want to listen to it, that I listened to yesterday. It's an, you know, it's an interesting, it's a conversation. It's not a well-produced, you know, not, not a great produced podcast. I had to, like, find it. But Adam uh, Bernero... Uh, had a, it says it's called Circle Change, and Hugh Quattlebaum is in there from February. And he talks a little bit about, mainly about getting back into baseball and how he tried to write a script in Hollywood. I think it was a comedy show, and, and how the feedback that he got and, and the process to do that really uh, has helped him with his uh, coaching. And, and, and the one interesting piece from all that is that Quattlebaum talks about how players really could benefit from honest and direct feedback. I, I know that to be a fact because I know that there's a lot of players in my time that have told me, especially as they come up through a system, that the team doesn't always speak that honestly to them. And it leaves them scratching their head when they get released or sent down to a new level or never make it. So I know that that's a big thing. And, and if he could give them some real direct, honest feedback and has the guts to do that with some big names in the room, a guy that just got $34 million a year who may be the catalyst to all this, then more power to him. And if he, he leverages this into becoming a really cemented hitting coach with a team like the Mets, more power to him. But make no mistake, this was a move for politics for Zach Scott to help instill a philosophy that they, they, they wanted to do all along. Um, and it's to send a message. And if you don't think that message, and I know I saw the Andy Martino report about Louis Rojas being safe, but if you think or you're waking up and you're Louis Rojas, maybe you'll make it through the year because making a managerial change a lot, it would have to be something that sparks them this year 
or they found the right guy for the next five, six years. We're back to the same conversation that I had when they were looking for a manager when they hired Beltran over Girardi and some of the other experienced guys like Buck Showalter and so on. Uh, you know, it'd have to be something that sparks in this year, and then maybe they'll do that. But uh, if you're Luis Rajas and you think, especially not having a contract, that you're safe, this should be plenty of proof that you're not. Zach Scott wanted to implement, and Sandy Alderson too, they want to implement a more analytics-driven front office. And by the way, this is a guy that, you know, may, you know, may not be cooperating. They always talk, and you've heard, I've heard Steve Phillips talk about this when you make coaching changes, that it's about the process of how they go about their work. You do that with managers. They didn't like the way he was approaching the hitters. Did the Donnie thing have something to do with it? Well, I mean, look, I think the players were having some fun. Donnie and the fictitious coach, Donnie, that Pete Alonso started, it looks like, wasn't going to matter. They wanted Chili Davis out. It was a matter of when. Why not do it at a time where you could send a very clear message to the organization? Losing won't be tolerated. Mediocrity won't be tolerated. And I have no problem with that. When you heard Todd Zeal in one of the openings, there's a derelict of duties with the coaches. But, you know, come on. But let's face it. And I said this the other day. Do you think Hugh Quattlebaum and Kevin Howard are going to be the reason Francisco Lindor turns it around? Or do you think for a minute Chili Davis is the reason why he's struggling and he looks lost at the plate? This is not about analytics. The struggle. Analytics may be going into the future and the decision. There's no doubt about it. But if you think that analytics is going to make Francisco Lindor return to a form that he has not been at since 2018, we talked about this when he came over. And again, nobody talks about it. Nobody in the media talks about this. It's amazing to me because it's not fact-based. It's not analytics-driven. A guy just signed a huge contract, not only the biggest contract in Mets history. Uh, he's, he's the highest-paid shortstop in the history of the game in a high-profile city, new city, coming from the Midwest, the quiet Midwest, and an organization he grew up with since he was a young kid, to this cauldron where he's expected to win with a new owner, with more media. And, yeah, I said it the other day, he never has to get another hit to get paid. But you don't understand an athlete if you think that that's how they go. They don't ment- you know, Some of them mentally retire, and we've seen that happen, but most don't. If you don't think that yolk around his neck is causing all this, and you think it's Chili Davis in his meetings and his lack of launch angle adoption, come on. Do you think Francisco Lindor, what, what is Hugh Quattlebaum, other than looking at video and maybe trying to use some technology to get him back to who he was with Cleveland, Lindor? What is he going to do for him? McNeil and Alonzo have been uh, getting to this point. They probably wouldn't know Hugh Quattlebaum if they stepped on them. I mean, Michael Conforto. Michael Conforto's uh, had some of his... I mean, Alonzo, Conforto, McNeil. These guys had big years on the Chili Davis. Nimmo back in 2018, even before Chili Davis, had an, an elite offensive season. Kevin Pillar, Jonathan Villar. Let me go up and down. Albert Amora. I mean, maybe you look, a guy like Albert Amora who struggled... Uh, top pick has struggled. Maybe he finds something with one of these guys, uh, i.e. Justin Turner. For every Justin Turner, Daniel Murphy story, and Justin Turner, if if you read the, read the MVP machine, started to work on things because of Marlon Bird and the self-help improvements that Marlon Bird did, and Turner did it on his own by going to somebody. It comes from the player. 
and it proves again what I told you guys the other day. The coach is an app. The coach is a tool. You want to use it? Great. You don't? Look, the consequences of that is that if you're not a key impact player with a contract and you don't follow the organizational philosophy, they get rid of you. That's why they got rid of Marlon Bird. They didn't like how Marlon Bird wasn't preaching the same offensive philosophy that uh, the Mets wanted. Marlon Bird went on to you know, have a pretty good year that year. He was one of the better Mets hitters, and he went on uh, you know, to get a, a, some money after that. And Justin Turner, who seemed to follow the same philosophy, did. Sandy Alderson, his history of, of player development, for the most part, on the offensive side, uh, you know, the draft has been really good, but, you know, Pete Alonzo and McNeil became who they are because of who they are, because of the kind of players they are, not because of uh, instilling some uh, analytics-driven philosophy into their veins up and down the minor league system. I just don't understand that. Analytics is a tool. We're acting like this is an end-all, be-all, solving problems for people and players that have been in this freaking game for sometimes over a decade. And I don't care that they fired Chili Davis. I think it's complete window dressing. I think Chili Davis's philosophy of using the whole field and line drive, which is called antiquated, is the same philosophy that you hear Keith Hernandez talk about night in and night out. You hear about, well, he's got an antiquated hitting style. Well, guys like George Brett follow the Charlie Lau style of hitting. And last I looked, they have over 3,000 hits. And if you look at the numbers... In baseball, through the first five weeks of the season, you got way more strikeouts than hits, less contact than ever. So I don't know if all this new age stuff is really helping. Now, let me tell you one other thing. Hitting is becoming hard. And I think if there is one thing that analytics has created, and there's nothing you can do about it, because information is power. And with power, things all of a sudden change, and markets get disrupted. And in this case, baseball is getting disrupted. All the tools, all the things with uh, Edgertronic technology, Rapsodo, the cameras, the, the heat maps, everything that's available is so much driven to make pitchers better, to make hitting harder. And you can't force, you can't, what are you going to legislate out using video and technology to pitchers? They're able to spin the ball more than ever, throw harder than ever. You're seeing guys change arm angles and different speeds and different styles because you can't uh, see one starter until the seventh inning. As a hitter, you're constantly evolving and adapting to a, a difficult task, becoming more difficult during the game, that you basically have that much time to make a decision. They're human beings. The decision-making process is hard. I mean, some of these balls that you look at, you're sitting home on your couch eating potato chips, some of these balls that, that look like guys flailing away at, at a pitch outside the strike zone, you see the camera from the other angle at high speed, that thing looks like it's a fastball down the middle. All of a sudden, it just drops right out. So baseball has a problem, and I know Theo Epstein, you know, everybody loves Theo, and he's he's a Hall of Fame executive, is playing with the mound distance in the, in the minor leagues and holding runners on and all this other stuff that want to change the speed up the game. How are they going to, what are they going to put the, the mound out in center field and make the pitcher lob it like softball? How can, you, how can you undo the Pandora's box of information and technology? And how is analytics? Now, if you tell me that Hugh Quattlebaum and Kevin Howard have their hitter's version of what has been going on and what you can read, and I really recommend if you're in the audience, read the book MVP Machine because you will see the genesis of a lot of the 
processes and technology that have led to maybe this disparity between hitter and pitcher? Because there's a lot about pitchers in that book, specifically Trevor Bauer. If they come up with something that evens the, the playing field with technology and analytics, great. Then that's what this is all about. I don't think that that's the case. And for, and for those who have criticized the Mets for making this move now and not in the offseason, I will redirect you to what I've said for months. The owner came in on November 1st and hired a team president that had to hire not one, but two GMs and had to cram a complicated process and building an organizational structure in the middle of free agency, offseason, building a team to compete, the holidays, everything. And just maybe they didn't want to fire a popular hitting coach because that's the thing you do normally is build your staff in the offseason in the midst of the athletic bothering them about texts and tweets or whatever it is that happened uh, uh, in, in two other organizations before that. You know, while they're trying to build a team, they got the athletic running around talking to every intern that's ever worked for the team to see if they were uh, mistreated or something was said in the... Uh, the men, you know, the bathroom. So there've been, there's been a lot on their plate. I don't think firing Chili Davis was number one priority, and you can tell from the players' reaction that he was popular. Now, if they go and they you know, the same thing that happened in 1999, the Mets had an elite offense that was already pretty good, and all of a sudden they go 55 and 15. Yeah, the story will go down just like it has gone down in the two decades since the 1999 scenario happened. That that was the turning point. And Louis Rojas didn't support this move, and Bobby Valentine did not support the move. I mean, there's, I mean, if you want to hear another great story about that, uh, listen to uh, Mets Rewind podcast with John Struble. Listen to Bob Apodaca, who was one of the coaches axed, talk about that day. So, total window dressing move. Now, is there is there a positive on all this? Because to me, there's there's a lot. I'm skeptical about how this. A different hitting philosophy is going to make these guys better, especially guys like Lindor. It's a tool. It's access. I thought, I'm pretty sure they had the access. Maybe now you have guys that are going to be able to say, hey, here's how you use this tool, and here's how it can help you. That's it. There's no potion. There's no process. That's going to change Lindor's swing. What I do think could be good out of this, and I think it's a, a mindset and a philosophy that has eluded this franchise for, ugh, three, four decades, maybe 40 years since the late 80s Mets. And it's the mindset of winning and a, and a mindset of excellence. Fred Wilpon was the kind of guy that was very nostalgic about baseball. And he wanted it to be about the brown paper bag with your lunch, sitting in the bleachers, enjoying the boys of summer and them bums and wait till next year with the Dodgers. It was very romanticized. It was like Roger Angel uh, uh, novel. Roger Angel uh, book. And today's baseball and today's sports climate is about excellence and pushing yourself to be elite. You're seeing it in another sport in this town with the Knicks. What the Mets want to become is what you've seen the Knicks become in just four short months. Two decades of losing and dysfunction. No winning for six or seven years. Way worse than any of the Mets have Experience. They bring in a good coach who sets the right philosophy, an organization that has a winning mindset, uh, an organization with accountability players that set the tone and buy in. And now you're seeing them come together and they didn't do it just because of new analytics or new 
co- you know, coaching was was part of it, still in the philosophy. Um, but it was more about setting the tone from top down. And I think what this does is it sets the tone that losing mediocrity and accepting it will not be tolerated in this Steve Cohen era. And that's a good thing. And if Chili Davis is the sacrificial lamb for that, well, if he was going to go out, eh, so be it. But I'll tell you, these guys better be good. These guys have a ton of difficulties coming into that locker room. First of all, they're very young. Neither one of them is an accomplished. They made, they play baseball. They got to AAA. So they could share and connect with some of these guys. But so can Chili Davis. The only difference is they're a little bit more contemporary. Both of them were minor leaguers in the last two decades. Chili Davis retired and was a veteran on the way out in 1999-2000. I mean, that that's not that long ago, but the game was different. I mean, Chili Davis faced Dwight Gooden. Chili Davis faced Tom Seaver. Chili Davis faced Nolan Ryan. Uh, you know, that's like a, another generation. Now, I've talked to players that are not that far out of the game, and it's a different game. Even players that retired just 10 years ago. Uh, the game's changed a lot. So if you're thinking about this being anything more than what it is, which is a political move and a move that was going to be made because the organization is going a different direction, you're fooling yourself. This is not solving anything. This is not changing anything. You know what the real big story was coming out of the last couple of days? It was really like, hey, is Jacob deGrom's uh, uh, soreness in his side, his lat, what is that a sign of? Because if he, that's a, even with the good news or the best case scenario, that's something that's a sound in the alarm. We could have had a real doozy of a, of a short year and have a podcast where we're talking about uh, a change in what it means on hitting coaches, which is really just moving the decks around on the, uh, the chairs on the deck. And, and then what the real problem is, which is your ace is, is hurting because there's thunderbolts and then there's thunderbolts that crash and, and start a fire. That's a thunderbolt that crashes and starts a fire. So hopefully he'll be okay. But if you're looking for me to come in here and start saying that, you know, this these two guys are going to come in and all of a sudden Francisco Lindor is going to go four, four for five. And if and, and today during the doubleheader, he has a big two games. That's going to be the story. Oh, look, it was Chili looking over his shoulder. Nonsense. Hitting coach that didn't run his his uh, his meetings, didn't disseminate information in the way that the modern information-driven GM likes. A GM that's trying to find his voice, find his footing in the organization, wants to exert some power. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that meeting with the players. Zach Scott doesn't, and again, I'm seeing him on Zoom, he doesn't have that confident, authoritative GM feel to him yet. He looks like uh, a sub. He really does. He looks like a sub. And then, of course, the big thing. You know, it's like the mafia reference that I threw out on Twitter. You send a message. You whack somebody. You send a message to everybody else. That message should be pretty loud and clear. should be clear to Louis Rojas, most importantly, because he's the most dispensable uh, of who's left. But it's for the players, too. You like playing here. You like being in New York. Well, you got to perform. The funny thing is, if it's the guy that really ignited it is Lindor, you're stuck with him for a decade. We could be talking about Lindor and our feelings about him for 10 years. Think about it, 11 years. Think about how long that is. Think about how much is going to happen in the world and in your life. Uh, Unbelievable. Anyway, uh, I want to thank everybody 
for joining me today for this short. Hope you enjoyed it. We wanted to jump in, and I wanted to give my thoughts on the firing and give some perspective. If you want to check me out all the time, you go to the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another podcast pretty soon. Till then, take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.